0: This is the consciousness podcast and I'm your host Stuart Preston each episode I have a conversation with an expert in human consciousness in this episode I had the honor of speaking with cardiologist dr. Pim van Lommel for more than 20 years dr. van Lommel has studied near-death experiences in patients who survived a cardiac arrest in 2001 he and his fellow researchers published a study on near-death experiences in the renowned medical journal the Lancet he then wrote the bestseller Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience, in 2007. We had a great conversation and covered enhanced consciousness, NDEs, and much more. Please enjoy this episode with Dr. Pim Van Halen.
1: Thank you so much for uh, for taking your time out to talk to me about consciousness. I'm really grateful for your time. You're welcome. Um, Thank you. So, obviously, you're known for your extensive work with near-death experiences, NDEs. Yes. Um, your book, your book is titled "Consciousness Beyond Life," and obviously, this is a consciousness podcast. So I thought it was okay with you. We might kind of start there, um, talk a little bit about consciousness. And I know that medical doctors, cardiologists, obviously included, generally see consciousness as either on or off, almost a binary state. In your first experience with a, a near-death experience in 1969 it seems like you saw consciousness differently as more than just on or off, more than just a waking consciousness. Is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what you observed and what you learned?
2: Yeah, that was indeed in 1969. I just had my rotating internship and I um, was the second coronary care unit in the Netherlands because... Until 1967, all patients died due to cardiac arrest because modern resuscitation techniques like defibrillation and external chest compression were not yet possible. So it mm-hmm. was all new for us. And in 1969, we had a patient who had a cardiac arrest and we got them back after about four minutes. And we as the resuscitation team were, of course, very happy with it. It was all new for us. But the patient right. seemed to be very, very disappointed. And he told me about <laughs> being a tunnel and a light and, and beautiful colors. And uh, and I always say I never forgot this event, but I didn't do anything with it. It was all new for me. I was young. I was doing my um, uh, five years of specialization in cardiology. So uh, mm-hmm. And I'd never heard about it as well. So it was all new. And I didn't know at that time that these kind of experiences were quite common and has been reported in all times, in all right. religions, it was all new for me. So there's only in 1986, when I read the book by George Ritchie, Return from Tomorrow, that's the moment I started to be open and to ask patients about their, um, if they had any memories from a period of cardiac arrest. So only in 1986, I started my interest.
1: Okay. And so in looking at starting to discuss this with your patients, I guess from that first one, who seemed disappointed to, to come back. Um, it seems to me like observing this NDEs led you to believe that there is a special state of consciousness. If I have that right, that you call an enhanced consciousness.
2: Yes. Yes, that's right. So, and, and the challenge is, yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: No, sorry, go ahead. What is the challenge?
2: The challenge is that according to a current medical concept, it was impossible to report memories from the period of cardiac arrest, from the period of unconsciousness. So uh, when I started to ask patients about their memories, possible memories from the period of unconsciousness, um, in two years, out of 50 patients who survived cardiac arrest, 12 patients shared their NDE with me. And that was the moment that my scientific curiosity started to grow because as I told you before, it should be impossible that people have memories and have an enhanced consciousness with the possibility of perception, cognition, memories, emotions, etc.
1: Because you know that when that's happening, the loss of blood pressure and the loss of glucose and blood and all that, that the brain shuts down. And so it's, it would be impossible for them, especially the reports they come back with of exactly. observing things yeah that would, so be, would know, be impossible so it's pretty it's clear fine. to you that that's what's happening
2: yeah so the, the brain stops functioning within seconds uh, we have cardiac arrest so the the, the clinical findings are, are that you, they lose consciousness when you measure the blood flow to the brain the carotid arth- arteries it, it, mm-hmm. it's zero within 1 second so the the body reflexes function from the cortex of the brain disappear the, the brain stem reflexes, like the gag reflex, the corneal reflexes, and the wider pupils, not reacting to light, these are all brain stem reflexes, disappear, and also the breathing, the breathing center is close to the brain stem, disappear. So the clinical findings are that there is no function of the brain, the brain stem, of the corner at all. So. Um, and when you measure an EEG in, in patients with induced cardiac arrest, we see that within 10 to 20 seconds, the EEG is flatlined as well. EEG is the electrical registration of the electrical activity of the cortex.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So the brain doesn't function at all.
1: And it doesn't function, and yet there's a reported consciousness. When they return, they, they report things going on that are clearly... Um, experiences that are conscious experiences that went on while their brain was shut down.
2: Exactly. And according to current uh, materialist paradigm in science, especially neuroscience, is that consciousness is just a product of brain function. So when there is no brain function at all, it should be impossible to have, to to report conscious experiences.
1: So, and, and it's not just that they're conscious. There seems to be this new, level of consciousness I think that you refer to as enhanced consciousness is that correct yes, yes. and so, so what's the difference between normal waking consciousness and enhanced consciousness
2: enhanced consciousness has much more cognition uh memories from early childhood you have mm-hmm. uh, when you have a life review you you, you relive your whole life uh, uh, instantaneously so there seems to be no time and no no place, no space in your memory. So you, you also remember from uh, things in the past and you're connected with the consciousness of others and you know that, that each act but also each word and each thought you ever had is kept and has influenced others as well as yourself. You also can have uh, uh, future events a flash forward. So in this uh, higher uh, um, area of, of enhanced consciousness there is no uh, time and no space everything happens at the same time When you focus to something but to somewhere you will be there as well so that's what we call non-locality and and people mm-hmm. have a cardiac arrest of two three minutes and they can talk for for weeks days to weeks about what happened during the year and the
1: wow okay yeah that does that does sound enhanced are there, are there other ways coming from the point of view of of trying to understand consciousness, are there other ways to access that enhanced consciousness other than an NDE? Um, Like maybe meditation or psychedelics, you know, those kind of things?
2: There are many more possibilities to have an enhanced consciousness. But when you try to study the mind-brain relationship, when you try to understand how consciousness and the brain are related Then you should study the patient with cardiac arrest who survived cardiac arrest. But again, Mm -hmm. there are many more patients who can report an enhanced consciousness in meditation, in isolation, in existential Mm -hmm. crisis. Um, So lost in the desert, Um, astronauts Mitchell and Glenn had the same experiences. Uh, Lindbergh had it when he flew in alone uh, over the ocean. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but also just walking in nature you get the same uh, experience as well. So you, you don't can get access have to, that. to die. And also people with okay. a, uh, in the terminal phase of illness uh, can have this deathbed vision of end-of-life experiences, which also is the same kind of contact with enhanced consciousness.
1: Okay. Um, the reason I asked about the psychedelics specifically is because it seems like throughout the book you mentioned that uh, DMT, which in, in one section of the culture is referred to as a psychedelic, but it 's really just a chemical that flows throughout the body, you mentioned that the DMT seems to have play a role in consciousness and, and so what what role do you think that the DMT existing in our bodies already plays in our consciousness
2: well, DMT has a very short half time it means it, it disappears within seconds, so DMT mm-hmm. in the body can hardly play a role, but in ayahuasca, there's two things, uh, DMT and another thing from plants who who make it uh, uh, the half time much, much longer. So people who use ayahuasca can sometimes experience a period of enhanced consciousness, but also have a chance to have hallucinations, negative experiences as well. So it's not always... The Same that you have the enhanced consciousness, but for me, like also Cyrus Sabine and LSD and DMT, give the possibility to break the connection between consciousness and the body and the brain.
1: So, maybe, maybe for a little experience. bit, access that enhanced
2: consciousness. So, exactly. So, the content of you to DMT of LSD, but the content of the experience is due to the breaking the connection between consciousness and body-brain.
1: Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, In your book, you you mentioned that you are, are seeking to answer the question, you know, quote, what is the biological basis of consciousness?
2: Exactly.
1: And within that, there's a pretty significant assumption that there actually is a biological basis which you also point out has really never been proven. We all, we all just kind of took this assumption and ran with it. Hmm. When there really has not been any uh, biological basis proven. So I don't know if you want to expand on that or tell us a little bit about, you know, how would you answer that question today? If somebody said, what's the biological basis of consciousness? How would you, how would you answer that question today?
2: Yes. Well, I'm sure there's no biological basis of consciousness at all. So mm-hmm. the, the role of the brain um, is not a the brain has not a producing function but a facilitating function to experience consciousness. So consciousness is, in my view, non-local, which is, means it is always everywhere beyond time and beyond space. And just a small part of this non-local consciousness is uh, received as our waking consciousness. Um, right. And, and we send information from our body and from our senses toward consciousness. Uh, so the brain and the body can see it as a uh, transmitter or interface. And I always try to, when I try to comp, uh, explain it, I compare non-local consciousness with the iCloud, with, with the 1 billion websites, which you, which you can receive all over the world, everywhere where you are. With this mm-hmm. 1 billion websites are not produced by the computer, nor are parts of the computer. So the computer just makes it possible to receive it, but it doesn't produce it.
1: And so your, your computer has an IP address. Yes. And it's able to pull in these websites based on that IP address. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that like DNA happens to be our IP address for our consciousness.
2: Yes, that, that, that's a possibility. It's a hypothesis. It's a possibility. Yeah, it's a possibility. So it, I think the, the interface function is not just in the brain, it's in the body, but it's also in each cell. So each cell has an mm-hmm. interface function and is in contact with parts of this consciousness. can be more for genetic consciousness or other aspects of consciousness. But, uh, so consciousness is not in the body, not in the cell, but it is perceived by the cell and received by the body and by the brain.
1: Kind of a transceiver. And that's um, what I, you mentioned I think if I, if I recall this correctly the book like we, you have a piece of tissue from another person sometimes it brings memories with it
2: well that's, that's the story about uh, transmitted uh, transplanted memories that people who have received in uh, an organ in an organ transplant especially when you mm-hmm. have a heart or heart lung transplant then you receive a living organ from the donor. The donor is not dead. Brain death is not death because you cannot transplant dead organs. So the organ is a living organ. And this living organ, when it is transplanted, is still functioning as a perceiver of the part of the consciousness of the diseased donor. And that gives rise to sometimes changes in feelings, character, etc.
1: Right. So if the brain does not create consciousness where what where does consciousness originate from then is it something that like like gravity that exists and has pretty much always existed Mm -hmm. or is there something that you know when when I was born did something happen that developed a consciousness that connected to me or what is the origin of this of this consciousness
2: For me, there is no beginning, nor is there an end to consciousness. It has been there always and will there be always. And for me, consciousness is fundamental, which means everything comes from consciousness. The material world, our body, is formed Mm -hmm. by our consciousness. Our solar system is formed by consciousness. It also means that everything in in the universe has part of this consciousness or is connected with this consciousness, which is not to be compared with human consciousness, that with subjectivity of phenomenal consciousness. Mm. So it's always everywhere.
1: It's always everywhere. And that kind of ties into the, the quantum mechanics aspect of it. With, with quantum mechanics, we realize that everything is, is tied together. There's, a, there's some coherence there yep. in, in space. Um, and, and you're saying that um, consciousness is essentially a fundamental part of that of that fabric.
2: Exactly, and, and I use quantum mechanics, quantum physics as an analogy, not as an explanation of consciousness.
1: Okay. So the analogy but is- it, so it's, it's something similar to that.
2: Exactly, it is always connected, interconnected, beyond time, beyond space, and so it's just always there.
1: And right now, we just don't know, we don't know exactly how it's connected Again, going back to your analogy of gravity, right? We know we drop an apple, the apple falls from the tree and hits Newton on the head, but we can't actually look at a a graviton or we can't observe gravity itself. We can observe the effects of gravity.
2: Exactly. And that's what I also write in my book. So about gravitation, we, we know the physical effects of gravitation, but we cannot measure gravitational fields. And the same with consciousness, we can measure the activities in the brain as a result of consciousness, the physical aspects of consciousness with fMRI, PET scan, and and CT, and EEG. But we cannot measure consciousness itself because it is another higher dimension. And it's the same, perhaps, with gravitation. It's not in our physical dimension.
1: And that's kind of where we make a mistake. And sometimes we we, we measure the fMRI or the EEG, and and we, we just make the assumption that, oh, I'm observing consciousness. As opposed no, to observing the effect of consciousness.
2: It's just neural correlates. We, we can
0: yeah. measure
2: changes in activity and changes in blood flow. But we cannot change uh, measure what we feel and what we think. We cannot measure the content of consciousness because it's subjectivity. And all our measurements in our physical world is ob- trying to objectify and to measure and to duplicate findings. But we cannot... Measure, duplicate, or prove the subjectivity of our consciousness.
1: And I, and I feel like I read that in the brain is actually too limited in its um, its size and scope and design. It's too limited to actually take on all of the potential memories that it could in in a lifetime, and to even have this this consciousness, which is obviously much bigger could not really reside in this, in this physical, biological brain, that there's too much going on for it to actually handle. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Because we know that when the brain stops, like in car- cardiac arrest, people have memories mm-hmm. from early, early childhood. They can have so much, many more memories, also feeling connected with other, because of other people's in the past. And it is still at the moment that the brain doesn't function at all. And, and I describe in my book as well, there have been many other tests done that it is impossible to find any location of all memories. memories the brain plays a role in getting back our memories, but it's not stored in the brain.
1: And that's again where it's kind of uh, functioning as that uh, transceiver, the radio, where it's maybe the memories are, are within this electromagnetic field around the brain.
2: Exactly. It's always there in non-local consciousness.
1: In non-local consciousness. That's it. Um, the, speaking of non-local consciousness, I had a couple questions on that. The content yeah. of an NDE, this, this is what you said, the content of an NDE suggests that consciousness may be non-local. So when, you're, when you talk about this non-local consciousness,
0: yeah.
1: what you're saying is that it's, it's non-local to the, the physical biological brain.
2: The, the, from quantum physics, we know that non-locality means that there is uh, information beyond time and beyond space, and always instantaneous, interconnected, so faster than the speed of light. And that's mm-hmm. what we find in the in the reports of NDE as well. And also okay. having access to to the past and also to the to the future, to flash forward, which you see parts of the life that has to come is still there because past the future is available in this higher dimension, higher
1: realm. So in this enhanced consciousness, this non-local consciousness, you have access to a greater amount of information, past, future, all time and space is is together because there is no time essentially. Exactly. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, Aldous Huxley, he has his uh, book "Doors of Perception," and he, in his experience with uh, the psychedelic mescaline, he came back from that and said, "Oh my gosh, my the brain is just a filter." Yes. To a greater, greater consciousness. Is that, is that analogous to the concept that's, that you're you're telling me right now?
2: That's analogous, and and William James has said the word filter already more than a century ago, in 1890, mm. he mentioned the, the brain function. Wow. As a, so it filters, it just a part of the non-local consciousness is received as waking consciousness, but there's much more unconscious than we usually experience. The difference is when you have had an NDE, then you have to enhance intuitive sensitivity, which means that your receiving capacity or the threshold of your consciousness has been changed. And you receive not only Channel 1, your own consciousness, but also Channel 2, 3, 4 from consciousness of others. So you receive information not by your senses and not by your body. And you see future events as well, uh, prognostic dreams. So you know that someone will die in weeks and he, he dies So you know someone is ill and you, you, you know think that it's impossible to know. That's because you have the non-local connection with others as well.
1: And so when they come back from an NDE, do they still have some of these capabilities? Or was it just that they kind of walked through a door, had access to it, and then they came back and the door closed again?
2: No, no. What I told you, there is a huge transformation in people who have had an NDE. And it is, one, they lose the fear of death. Two, they have a new insight what is important in life. It's all about compassion, Mm -hmm. unconditional love. First, towards yourself, accept yourself, accept your negative aspects, and then accept and have uh, unconditional love for others and for nature because they are connected with nature and they are connected with others. And NDE sometimes is called an uh, experience of unity, an experience of oneness, because in the NDE you, you experience that everything is one, everything is connected. And the third aspect of transformation is enhanced and of sensitivity that they receive information beyond time and beyond space. But that can be very disturbing as well, because you receive well, information, do yeah.
1: Yeah, I bet. And so we mentioned that there are certain things, walking in nature, um, meditation, maybe some psychedelic isolation that can actually provide access to this enhanced consciousness and then to collective consciousness. Yes. Um,
2: so no, the, the name is, is it, not a, it, you can call it collective, you can call it universal consciousness, you can call it cosmic consciousness, it doesn't matter at all. It's all about the same.
1: We're talking about the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So is it with, uh, like I spoke, I had a conversation with Ed Kelly at yes. the University of Virginia who studies psi guy. phenomena.
2: Wonderful guy. Yeah, an amazing
1: man. Hooks, Wonderful guy. Raging. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, very honored to speak with him too. So this this collective consciousness and access to that does that help explain some of the things that that he studies you know as far as everything from telekinesis to shared memories to even reincarnation you know some of those things do do human beings have access through this collective consciousness to each other's consciousness without any physical interaction
2: yes it's exactly you can explain all these Things with the concept of non-local consciousness and with the influence of consciousness of others and also of uh, in the material world, so like psychokinesis. And we know mm. that's an, an, an example is neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity: then you change the structure and function of your brain by changing your consciousness. What happens in in meditation? What happens in uh, mindfulness training? What happens in placebo effect? So when Patient with Parkinson's disease or severe depression or with chronic pain receive a placebo. You see the same changes in the brain as when they have real medication. So it's it's all about changes in consciousness give rise to changes in the body, like neuroplasticity, and that's you call can call uh, non-local perturbation of psychokines. I, I like the word uh, non-local perturbation, but also remote viewing and non-local perception. It's all based right. on the non-locality of consciousness.
1: Okay. Um, so in your view then, death, the end of the biological life, is really just a a change in consciousness. Yes. From this, change, this filtered change. experience to the enhanced.
2: Yeah. I, I always say death, like birth, is a changing state of consciousness. Hmm. Of birth.
1: Yeah. Okay, um, I've got a little bit of a far out question uh, related to this, this uh, enhanced consciousness and the collective consciousness and um, a, your hypothesis that maybe DNA is the link to one's um, waking local consciousness. Hmm. The, uh, if I could create a machine and I could give it my DNA address, my IP address, do you think I could transfer my consciousness to a mechanical brain? No. I don't believe it. And why not?
2: No. Uh, because I think a machine is not the same as a living organism as we are. And when you put DNA somewhere in a machine, it's still a machine. So I don't believe the possibility. So the
1: essence, the essence would prevent that. Its essence would prevent that from I think happening. So. Yeah. Okay. I think. I well, thank you for uh, accommodating my science fiction question.
2: <laughs> I write also about you know, um, that, that it is impossible that, that the computers or other instruments will ever be able to produce consciousness.
1: Yeah, and there's so many people. I mean, you look at like Ray Kurzweil, yeah. who talks about the singularity and how close we are, maybe even 2045 to, to rebuilding our brain. And the one thing that always stops people when they talk about AI and recreating brains is well, what about consciousness? And we can't even explain consciousness super well with ourselves, you know, Chalmers' hard question of consciousness. Exactly. And so your your explanations here, I felt maybe got me closer to thinking maybe that would be possible. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I I feel the same way you do, that the biology would the essence would stop that from happening.
2: Roger Pedros has written about it as well.
1: Right, right. Um, so, and I think, I think you did mention this in your book, but if not, then I pulled it in from some other place. But there is the study of the, the brain activity in rats. Yeah. When a cardiac arrest was induced with George Mashore and company and if I understand it, that, you know, they, they put them under anesthesia and then they induced a cardiac arrest and they noticed a high level of, you know, gamma activity and maybe even some theta activity in the brain right before or just right after a cardiac arrest was induced. And then again, I think at the end when they were, the rats were brought out of cardiac arrest and I don't put forth this question as an argument for or against MDEs. My, my thought is, and if you already mentioned this, I apologize, but we should talk about it for the audience. This activity in the rat's brains, how do you interpret, I mean, assuming that you agree that the findings are accurate, how do you interpret that, that experiment?
2: Well, uh, first, I, I don't remember how the rats were killed. I don't think it was an in-use cardiac arrest, but they were decapitated, I think. So they, they were killed. Um, oh, I thought they were... I thought I But I I don't remember exactly. But what I know for sure, that this kind of activity has never been measured, seen in patients who die. Also in cardiac arrest, when you have a cardiac arrest patient, where there's an EEG registration, like an induced cardiac arrest, but also sometimes it happens during surgery, when there is an EEG control and people have a cardiac arrest, then you see a flat line within 10 to 20 seconds, but you never see activity at all. So it has not been
1: You don't see that burst of activity
2: in humans. So I doubt the results and I cannot put it into humans when you see it in rats. Whatever the okay. samples. I mean and there has been an answer to this study written by Bruce Grayson and by me as well. It's just published published somewhere.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um I guess I missed your response to that. Um, that I'm killed okay. my hypothesis that uh I was I was running with the hypothesis that maybe that activity would be the, the disengaging of the consciousness from the the body and then the reengaging of the consciousness once they came out of the NDE. But if that if we don't even see that in humans then that's that's moot.
2: It has never been seen in humans.
1: Yeah. Alright. Um, then I just have a, a couple wrap up questions with an open ended one. Mm. So um, since writing the book, um, have you seen any new information or any recent discovery that has caused you either to reassess some of your ideas or that have reaffirmed your hypotheses on, on consciousness? Anything out there that has come along that, that made you take a second look at any of this?
2: Well, I, I'm reading and listening a lot to people and uh, reading a lot of studies. And I think there mm-hmm. are prospective study in survival psychotic rest in 44 patients has been done also in in UK by two studies and in the US, USA by one study in total 562 Mm -hmm. patients who survived cardiac arrest and the findings were totally the same, which means there is no physiological explanation like anoxia of the brain, no psychological explanation like fear of death, no pharmacological explanation like the given medication. So there's no explanation at all why people should report a near-death experience. That's one. Another thing is, okay. that with our current materialistic science, we cannot tell anything about consciousness because it is beyond our material science. As I've told you before, we cannot measure, prove, duplicate or falsify the subjective experiences we have. We can have the, uh, the neural correlates, the activities and change of activities in the brain, but we cannot measure or prove what we see or think. So the main thing for me from the last 10 years is that we have to change science into the post-materialist science of all-inclusive science, which includes subjective experiences. And that's what's happening now, especially by consciousness studies.
1: And so you see that that change in science, that maybe even a, a change in attitude. You see that yeah. happening
2: but recently. So yeah, there's a Journal of Consciousness Studies, and about 10, 50 years ago, about 80% of the articles was about the materialist approach of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, it's about 30% materialist approach and 70% post-materialist approach about studies in consciousness. So it is changing.
1: Yeah. And w- with that change, you know, maybe when we get to 51% or 60%, um do you see any potential breakthroughs that could really shed some new light is there any i know with uh you know like in quantum physics they're looking for the unified theory and mm-hmm. is there anything in your studies with with ndes and or consciousness that you're you look to as you know if we can get to this point this breakthrough this will really give us some some better insight anything like that coming down the pike
2: no i don't think so i think we learn a lot and there's still a lot of discretion. That also in quantum physics, there's still the role of, of, of consciousness in quantum physics, that there is no objectivity at all, that the, 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 the scientist who designs um, a, an experiment is part of the experiment, part of the result of the experiment, is still not accepted mm-hmm. by quantum physicists. And so, also the fact that consciousness is not produced by the brain, by the brain has a facilitating function is still not accepted by a lot of neuroscientists and philosophers and psychologists. So for me the main thing is that what has been found now should be more acknowledged and more spread out into the scientific world.
1: Scientists are far
2: more reluctant to be open than the general population.
1: Yeah they're a little more skeptical and, and it's but it's also just not good enough to say it's not it's not true there's got to be some further study and analysis and looking into it.
2: I think now we, we have facts enough to to talk, to, to be sure that there is about non-local aspect of consciousness and brain yeah. is not produced. I think that's that's no discussion at all anymore, anymore because of all the studies that have been done. So uh, I think the, the, the great challenge is that people will be more open for it. And and what is striking for me as well, let, like let's say let's talk about let's say after death communication, that people have mostly during night have contact with the conscience of diseased relatives, which happens in Europe about one hundred and twenty five million people and in USA more than one hundred million people. But they're usually silent about it because they're reluctant to share it with others, because they don't believe it or say right. it's just a dream. Yeah. I don't know if you have contact with the consciousness of deceased relatives. Have you been yeah.
1: yeah, it's tough tough for them. Even, even people that had some pretty significant experiences don't want to share for the fear of that reaction.
2: Exactly. So, uh,
1: hmm.
2: and also the scientific community. I know professors who tell me in private, you could be right, but officials they say, you are wrong. It's nonsense until they um, uh, stop retire and then they say well perhaps he's right so they're they're, they're angry They're, they're afraid to lose their research money research position at the university and i i understand it
1: yeah all right um well what what else what else do you want to share is there anything that i have not asked you in the context of consciousness or Anything else that you're looking at? Is there anything that, that, that I left out here that you'd like to share with us?
2: Oh, there are so many aspects. I think one of the aspects that are always very striking is the out-of-body experience, that uh, people can tell what happened during the CPR or what happened during surgery, and all the details they tell us can be corroborated by doctors, nurses and by family members. And and it it seems to be exactly what happens where they have seen when they were unconscious and had cardiac arrest. And there are many stories also, but in you know, my book have been stories like the Denser case, where a patient 44 years old came in and coronary carried in deep coma without any circulation. It was already cold and blue, uh, no heartbeat, uh, no pupil reaction to light, yeah. no breathing. And then the first thing they put, uh, in, tried to intubate the patient, but he seemed to have dentures in him out. So the nurse took out his dentures. And then he was another week in coma. I was on artificial respiration on the ICU. And when at last, when he became conscious, was back on the cardiac ward. And then he saw the nurse and said, you know where my dentures are. And he told the nurse exactly what had happened when he was brought into hospital. He couldn't describe the resuscitation room where he was brought in coma and left in coma. He could describe the appearances of doctors and nurses involved in the uh, CPR. He could describe the, the resuscitation room from a position above the body. So these are striking examples that consciousness with the possibility of perception happen when the body doesn't function at all, when the brain doesn't function at all.
1: Yeah, and you have some really good uh, recounts of that in the book. I encourage everybody to get a copy of your book and and read those. Um, I don't remember her last name now, Pamela, the the singer-songwriter who saw the instruments that were never visible to her.
2: But also blind people, have been blind from birth, have had uh, out-of-body experience. With the first time they could perceive light and and, and they could perceive things. And it was important even that people who are blind from, from birth don't dream in pictures. They don't they see anything. But in cardiac arrest, they can perceive from out and above the body because it's not perceiving by your eyes.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. So how, how do skeptics, you know, when you, when you tell, tell this to a skeptic and say, you know, they, a blind person was able to describe seeing the, the, you know, emergency room. What what do the s- skeptics say? I mean, did they, did they just go, that couldn't have happened and, and walk away? Or did they have some other plausible explanation?
2: No, that's the best thing for them to do, walk away and don't discuss it. Because when you really go into it, there's no other explanation that there really was perception out and above the lifeless body. The skeptics don't yeah. read, and they don't know it, and they won't read articles about it. They just have an opinion about the spread and um, they don't know the real facts. They don't know the the, the scientific literature about the experiences at all.
1: Mm. Yeah, and that's just not good enough. Okay. Um, well, what else? Anything else you wanna you wanna share? Well, I think we have
2: talked about the main um, aspects of the NDE research. And, yeah. Uh, and I think the, the, the most important thing is that that uh, when people lose a close relative uh, and had an after-death communication, then they know consciousness is still there. But you haven't had an, a near-death experience. There are no fear of death anymore because there's, no, there's a continuity of consciousness after the death of the body. So also for terminal care, uh, palliative care, uh, our ideas about death changed huge, actually you have these kind of experiences or want to listen with an open heart to these kind of experiences.
1: Mm. Yeah. There's definitely some, uh, therapeutic benefits from, oh, from yes. people sharing their experiences. Oh yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, wonderful. Well, that was, uh, it sure has made me think, um, so I have some new hypotheses of my own on consciousness. So I, uh, I'm really glad that, uh, I read the book and and watched some of your other videos and other material online, and I I can't thank you enough for taking your time to talk to me today about all this, Dr. Van Lommel.
0: You're welcome. That concludes another edition of The Consciousness Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Please find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, at our Twitter handle at conchcast, and don't forget to subscribe to our feed at theconsciousnesspodcast.com. Thank you for listening.